Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special edition episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you're doing well. So, in light of the of recent news, you know we have seen we have seen on the TV, we have heard on the radio, seen on social media, posts, information about monkeypox. So, I thought this would be a good time to bring an expert to talk about monkeypox. That way. We can educate yourselves, you know, you, the audience, and myself as well. You know, more information about monkeypox, what kind of virus it is, signs and symptoms, treatment, and information about outbreaks. So this episode features an interview with Dr. Rodney Rohde. He's a professor and program chair at Texas State University in the Clinical Laboratory Sciences Program. He's a microbiologist. He has a lot of experience. He spent some time with the Texas State Health Department. So this is a very educated and experienced person. He's also a great advocate of clinical laboratory sciences. So if you're involved in micro journals, in publishing, or advocating for clinical laboratory sciences, you have heard of Dr. Rodney Rohde. Very nice person. I had a great time interviewing him. And like I said, he has so much experience that I'm going to bring him in in future episodes. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode about monkeypox. Let's listen to it. So uh, today, today's episode is a, a special edition episode. It's outside. I normally do one episode a week. But I was, you know, we're, we're all look, looking at the TV, you know, and seeing the news. And we have heard about the monkeypox. So I thought it would be a good time to have an expert come in and talk about that. So today I have a, a guest that's very active in both microbiology and clinical laboratory science. And he's going to introduce himself in a minute. Uh, but his name is Dr. Rodney Rohde uh, from Texas State University. Dr. Rohde, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thanks so much, Luis. It is a pleasure and an honor to join you. I was just mentioning uh, to him earlier that I appreciate every person out there that is helping to amplify uh, the message of the medical laboratory as well as public health and, and infectious diseases and all the other things we do in the medical lab. And as Luis mentioned, uh, I am Regents Professor and Chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. I'm also the Associate Director for the Translational Health Research Center, which is a university-level research center that really kind of is a big umbrella term that works with faculty across all of our colleges. So not just in the medical lab, but in other areas that have to do with health. So that's a really interesting role. And I continue to uh, adjunct uh, as a community college professor at Austin Community College in Austin. That's where I really cut my teeth on teaching back in 1995, and I continue to do that role. I just, I love teaching as well as mentoring. So that's kind of my short story, and perhaps we can talk about a career journey in the future sometime. Um, yes, definitely. I think in, in the future, um, like when we're talking outside before we started, um, definitely in, for the audience, yeah, uh, Dr. Rohde has a lot of experience, and if you're involved in clinical laboratory science or microbiology and you're either looking at journals or social media you will see his name out there is very active you know a great 
you know, you advocate a lot for um, medical laboratory sciences. And I, I thank you for that. Thank you. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, talk about monkeypox. So can you start with an overview of the virus? Uh, you know, what kind of virus is it? Sure. So, I mean, typically monkeypox, you know, you, you conjure up these images of, you know, monkeys and things like that. And it's actually kind of misnomer uh, because uh, monkeypox was given its name uh, because the first real detection of it was in a couple of colonies of monkeys uh, that the CDC was working on uh, with respect to uh, research. And that was, you know, quite a while ago. And actually it was around 1958, uh, if you just want to put a date on it. But really you could probably talk about this as more of a rodent pox because in reality, monkeys are not the primary reservoir uh, and nor do they transmit it as quickly as rodents do in other animals. So really it's more likely in rats and rodents and even types of squirrels. So just a quick little history uh, lesson about it with, with respect to um, that particular naming of it. It is in the same family uh, as smallpox. So it's an arthropox virus and it, um, it's the same area that you see cowpox and, and camelpox and smallpox. And so uh, that's kind of an interesting piece around it. And the current uh, outbreak that's occurring, uh, if you're seeing this on your news, uh, it's really popped up primarily early on in the United Kingdom, uh, let's see, Portugal and Spain and some other European countries. And it's kind of small so far. There's about 68 suspected cases. And that also includes, um, let me see, eight cases in England and I think 20 in Portugal. And really the reason I was telling Luis before we started, it kind of blew up my day today. Uh, we're talking about it because the United States had a confirmed case yesterday in Massachusetts, and there's a case in Canada as well. So, so that's probably what's kind of blown it up in our world. But what's really interesting about this current outbreak is that health officials are kind of perplexed on what's going on because there might be some other atypical type of spread through the community that's undetected, including maybe some new routes of, of transmission. And by that, um, the, the acquisition of the infections kind of remain unclear. And so they're getting a little more attention than normal. For example, in England, seven of those eight cases uh, don't even involve travel to Africa or any other country in the uh, Democratic uh, Congo. And so that's where it's typically found in those parts of the world, West Africa, Central Africa. And so usually you see it more from animal and uh, travel associated cases, but seven of those eight cases have no recent travel to Africa. And so they're wondering if uh, that one case uh, may have been together with the other patients or some indirect um, contact with that one patient. That one patient was known to have traveled to Nigeria as, as the sources indicate. And so they're, they're just kind of looking at that. So they think there might be some cryptic spread through that imported case. They're also interested in um, looking at the cases from the standpoint, I mentioned kind of an unclear acquisition. Some of those cases are, were found in um, 
a possible sexual contact, just a subset of the overall outbreak. And so that's kind of what's going on right now, Luis. So, so you kind of mentioned it. Um, so it is endemic to just typically from Africa. That's right. And, and typically the way you catch it is primarily it's typically an animal bite or, or you can get a scratch or, or contact with like the animal's body fluid. So that's one of the primary ways you get it. There is possibility for human to human um, kind of transmission. Typically that's through inhal <clears throat> excuse me, inhalation of respiratory droplets from coughing or sneezing. You can also get it human to human if you have contact, uh, direct contact with lesions. So let me back up a little bit because this particular virus will uh, mimic smallpox. And for those of you out there who are younger, you might have seen images of smallpox patients from way back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s before smallpox vaccine eradicated it in 1980. But you would get these really large pustules on your, on your uh, exterior surface of your skin, and they're full of fluid, so they're lesions and kind of pustules. And when those burst, there's fluid that have virus in it. And so if that if that happens between two human beings, even if you don't know, like you have a small scratch or something like that, you could pick it up in that route. Um, there's also kind of a lesser possibility for indirect human transmission. If, for, for example, you had a human being that was sick, had pustules, and they were, they were um, oozing or, or opening up, and clothing or bed linen or things like that were shared or, or someone else came into contact with that way. So human-to-human uh, -human transmission is not super common. In fact, if you look at the literature, there's very few outbreaks that are sustained. They typically die out. Uh, in epidemiology, we call that kind of a dead-end process. They burn out really quickly. And so it's it's nothing right now that we're, for example, concerned about like COVID where you have massive aerosolization and and transmission in that route, but but it, there is some um, risk when you have that. And and interestingly, Luis, what's interesting about this, as I mentioned, it's a cousin of smallpox. So back when there was massive um, smallpox vaccine going out to eradicate it, people were also picking up some cross protective immunity through smallpox vaccine. So you didn't really see a lot of it. And when that eradication campaign ended in 1980, there was um, more cases of, of monkeypox that started popping up, especially again in Africa, Central and West Africa, because what was going on is now you had people that were no longer as fully immunized as they had been during smallpox. So some of that occurred after those vaccine campaigns went away. So kind of interesting that smallpox actually helped us uh, in our cross-protective immunity, and now that's waning. Um, for example, I got a smallpox. I was born in 1967, and it's about when they were uh, phasing out some of the smallpox vaccines in the United States anyway. And so many younger uh, people do not have that vaccination. And so there is more susceptibility to it in the population, more naive individuals out there because that vaccine is not used anymore. So yes, you know, it's good that you talk about the, about, you know, it's just, so right now it's just a small number of 
of cases and because of course you know the public sometimes you know especially with the lack of information maybe they hear the word the word virus again and you know with covid and everything we're pretty tired of you know hearing the word virus so absolutely i was telling as i i think i mentioned louis before we started i was telling my wife this morning that it was you know this is never a good thing when you have another infection kind of sprouting up and an outbreak occurring but it was it was kind of a relief uh, to be talking about something other than covid uh, which i've been doing kind of nonstop for the past two and a half years so yeah it's not a good thing but but certainly it's a different topic it it lets us reexamine uh, why it's important uh, to have public health surveillance and why vaccination is so critically important uh, and, you know, getting into infection and prevention and, and other reasons that surveillance and infectious disease monitoring are so critical to society, even though many people are tired of hearing about it. Um, you know, these things are not going to go away just because we're tired of it. Um, and I often tell people, even though we think, um, you know, we may be over the pandemic, the current pandemic. Many people are tired of it and they're just over it. But that virus is not finished with us yet. So regardless of what people think, it, it's a sustainable uh, kind of need that we keep cognizant and on top of our public health surveillance, uh, treatment, therapies and other things. We need to be ready for any, you know, upcoming outbreaks. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned about the, you know, the, the postural. So any other signs and symptoms, you know, if the person is infected with it? Yeah, great question. So signs and symptoms, that's a kind of a good spot to hit. So this particular virus, unfortunately, uh, that rash, that pustule does end up happening, you know, a week or so into the infection. But early on, it's really very much um, flu-like. And so it mimics those typical types of symptoms. So there's fatigue, there's fever, you know, there's coughing and sneezing and other flu-like symptoms. The rash is a little different. And once it gets going, certainly then that, that is an indication that something else is happening. Um, and so um, that's a good point as well as um, worth mentioning that just so the audience kind of understands, this is not something that has a high, high mortality rate. It's actually pretty low. Um, there's two primary clades or viral strains. One is um, a little more problematic. It has a fatality rate close to 10%. So that's, you know, that's somewhat worrisome. But the other clade, the other uh, major variant is actually down around 1%. Uh, the current outbreak is thought to be the more milder strain. And so that's kind of a good thing uh, right now. Um, and so that is important as well as uh, the transmission rate. Historically, if you look at this, it's, it's kind of around, oh, zero to 3%, a little above zero to 3%. So it's not, it's not something that has a high reproduction number that you, I remember talking about during COVID, it's not, you know, some of the highest reproductive numbers, that means one person, how many people can they infect? Some of the highest uh, agents are things like measles, which is up to 20 and, and chicken pox is in like 12 or something like that. 
this one's really down low. So that's a good thing uh, with respect to how it's, it's going to be transmitted. And historically, um, we can talk a little bit about, you know, has there ever been other outbreaks in the United States? And there actually has been. Uh, in, my, in fact, in my home state in 2003, monkeypox um, hitched a ride with a bunch of animals from Ghana uh, to Illinois. And you can find this in the CDC uh, MMWR reports and other literature uh, reports that it spread in, I think, I think it was six states in the Midwest. And there were about 47 people, I believe, if my memory serves correctly, that caught the disease uh, primarily from prairie dogs because uh, those animals, um, it, it spread out of those of animals from pouched rats and squirrels into prairie dogs and other things uh, from Ghana. And it burned out, uh, no one died, everyone recovered. And so that was back in 2003, that was the first induction of monkeypox into the US. And then more recently, let's see, there was two more times this occurred in 2021, one person in Texas and one, one or two people in Maryland, and those were travel associated. And those also died out pretty quickly. So it, it's just another virus that, you know, many people, Luis, had not heard about. And uh, only people like us that work in this realm kind of know about it. I've known about it for 30 years because my first career path, as you mentioned, was in public health. And I worked for the Department of Health in Austin and did a couple of stints at CDC. And, and monkeypox was one of the things we worried about. We were um, primarily working in zoonotic diseases, so hantavirus and rabies and plague and and things like that, even influenza. And so I was there when this popped up in the early 2000s and we kind of dealt with it. Um, so it's not a new virus. It's probably been around for centuries and, and probably much longer. And, and really just like other things, keep in mind that uh, it's, both, it's both a situation where it's probably been around a long time, but remember how amazing our diagnostic tools have become in the last five to 10 years, maybe 20 years. And so now we pick things up, uh, you know, way more uh, than we ever did before in our history. And so we're seeing things that perhaps have been around all the time, uh, but we're just able to diagnostically pick it up quicker. So you were actually, when, when that outbreak was there, so as you said, so you were actually working for the, the Texas State Health Department. Yeah, I, yeah, I left there in uh, 0203. Uh, so I, I started my career in public health in 1992 after my master's degree in virology and spent a decade there and uh, started out in newborn screens, which really introduced me to the medical lab profession because I was working beside uh, back then med techs. Now we, you know, we call them medical lab professionals or medical lab scientists. Uh, but quickly, because I loved infectious disease, I jumped uh, to an opportunity pretty quickly in the first year to virus isolation, which looked at all viruses. So I spent the first couple of years doing, um, which a lot of people don't even do anymore, doing cell culture and CPE monoclonal antibody analysis and molecular detection of all viruses. Um, most hospitals don't do that. They send it to the public health lab to isolate, you know, everything from polio virus to adenovirus to hepatitis to just any number 
of different viruses that we deal with, RSV, influenza, you know, on and on and on. But rabies and arboviruses were big enough and problematic enough that there was a separate unit at the Department of Health and a position opened up uh, to create molecular diagnostic tools for rabies and arboviruses like dinghy and West Nile viruses and things like that. And that's where, you know, my career was born really when I jumped at that position in 1994, I started down a path of working with zoonotic agents. So the, the job, we don't have to talk too much about this right now, but it was an interesting job to start my career because 50% of the job was lab work, actually working in the lab and um, just doing the regular day-to-day -day rabies and arbovirus testing. But the other part, because we were in the middle of a rabies outbreak in Texas, where we had two epizootics that were raging in South Texas and West Central Texas in uh, coyotes and fox, that it was a public health emergency declared by the governor at that time in 1994. And so I was allowed to develop uh, by working through CDC and other expertise, uh, bringing the first big molecular testing and sequencing uh, for Texas. I helped create the regional rabies reference laboratory that would type variants from all over the country in Mexico and Canada. So it's, it's funny to me, looking back, Luis, because I was doing things with variants and molecular typing almost 25 years ago. And, and, and it's been all the rage because of the current pandemic in the last two years, but it's something that's been around for quite a while. I was also part of the team that uh, helped eradicate canine rabies from Texas by using aerial uh, delivery of recombinant rabies vaccination for wildlife. So just an amazing program. We can maybe talk about that sometime, but, but with respect to monkeypox, uh, we had a group of, of veterinarians, wildlife biologists, epidemiologists, laboratorians like me, and we would uh, we had something called a rapid response team, an RRT, and our job was to investigate outbreaks uh, of a zoonotic uh, background, especially if there was mortality, so if someone died. And so early on, we were doing lots of rabies and hantavirus. You might remember hantavirus blew up in that time frame, coming out of the Four Corners area of the U.S. Um, but we also did plague work and West Nile work. I was there when West Nile burned across the United States, including Texas, uh, monkeypox, um, avian influenza, anthrax. Um, so just really cut my teeth on some, some really amazing times um, and getting mentored by some amazing virologists at CDC as well as globally uh, and within Texas. So, yeah, so I was cutting my teeth on some of these things 25, 30 years ago and um, eventually got back into academia and, and now share that with my students as a possible career path. Wow, definitely. Yeah, it's very interesting. We'll have to do it. We'll have to do a show sometime on rabies alone. <laughs> it's one of my passions for sure. Yes, yes, I, I will definitely, uh, you know, ask you to come in again, and because definitely, you know, there's some so many questions that I have, and also I want to delve a little more in your public health, you know, background, your transition to you know the 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 clinical lab, and yeah, so we'll make some some for some very good episodes. Absolutely. So for the audience out there, you know, just Hang in there. We'll have Dr. Rody back on the podcast.
So if you if you do get the monkeypox, you know, what are the treatment options? Yeah, great question. Um, so if you look at, you know, some of this comes out of CDC. I was telling Luis, I was writing an article about this today. And, and really, there's no great treatment options. There's supportive therapy. You know, so we all know what that means. You're treating the symptoms, not so much curing the, the illness. Um, so there's, there's not a lot treatment-wise. There are some drugs. There's an antiviral uh, that CDC talks about. There's, uh, you know, the immune globulin treatment that we kind of talked about with COVID, uh, but none of it has worked super well with, um, you know, rapidly curing the disease. It has been used in some instances to help control an outbreak, um, but most of the studies with the current drugs have been, been done in animal models, and they're still looking at in vivo human types of, of efficacy. However, um, in 2019, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration actually approved the first vaccine for monkeypox, which also protects you against um, smallpox. And again, you can find this if you search for it. It's the first um, non-replicating vaccine to prevent smallpox and monkeypox. And it's really uh, for 18 years and older and really only used for high risk individuals. So again, you know, like if you're working in this field in research or you live in these countries and there's a reason for you to get them, uh, then that would be um, something you might check out. Um, I'm trying to think right now what the name of the vaccine is. Um, let me give that a little bit of thought while we're talking. Um, it's brand. It's relatively brand new, and I, I guess I've jumped around so many conversations today. It's skipping my brain right now. But there is an actual vaccine. Um, I, I think it's pronounced Genios. Um, yeah, that's right. J Y N N E O S, and it's made from vaccinia, which is related to, close related to um, uh, variola or monkeypox. It's less harmful, but it can provide. Uh, protection, cross protection against both those diseases. So anyway, there is a, a, a vaccination that that's out there now that allows us to um, really look at those who are probably high risk. They even talk about, um, for example, people with HIV in those African countries are a little higher, more at higher risk because they're immunosuppressed, as you know, but even other immunocompromised individuals, you know, might be a problem. And then anyone who works either in the research setting or maybe in the field, like they're working with rodents or, you know, wildlife biologists and people like that might, might take that vaccine. That's probably if you didn't get it, um, you know, didn't get the smallpox vaccine back in the 60s or 70s. I'm not sure. I have to dig up, do a little more digging, Luis. I'm not sure if they're recommending um, using that as like a booster or or not, I would have to dig that up. Is there anything else that you want to add about monkeypox? You know, I don't think so. I think we did a pretty good job. Kind of the, you know, it's a kind of the big picture view right now, which is nice to talk about. Certainly I would, you know, tell your audience and others not to, not to panic. I don't think it's anything of grave concern. I think it's probably going to burn out. Uh, everything in, in historical respect has shown us that. 
that doesn't mean, you know, something could happen and this has a new novel transmission, but I just, I don't see it being as problematic. And there was even some discussion from several experts how, ironically, because mask mandates were so mandated on travel up until recently, that that probably was super helpful because, you know, less, less ability to transmit it era through aerosols or inhalation of respiratory droplets because, you know, everybody had to wear masks on aircraft and, and elsewhere in the last, what, year and a half. So that was probably a good thing. Uh, and so really, you know, I, I think it's, it's all going to be fine and good and it'll probably burn itself out in the next, you know, weeks to months, but we'll keep our eye on it. And it's just a good reminder again, uh, I, I say this all the time, public health and the medical laboratory are very integrated. They each have their place and they're absolutely critical to healthcare. As you know, they're the foundation of public health and healthcare, those professionals. So just thank everybody out there that's doing that work. And I appreciate you for having me on the show. And I look forward to our next conversation. Definitely. You know, it was, it was my pleasure. And not only to inform the audience and at the same time inform myself, you know, something really good that you said about as of right now, you know, like historically the cases seem to be small. Um, so for people not to panic, because of course, you know, since what we've been going through for the past two years, probably the easiest will be to hear about a virus and start panicking again. Um, and that doesn't do any good to anyone. Right. That doesn't help at all. And, and it's an important point because, you know, many experts, including myself, are kind of talking about that even right now is and also with like the acute hepatitis outbreak that's going on uh, that you might have read about. You know, we're so sensitized as a society right now that we're probably a little overreaction by the press and by everybody else. And and we have to react. We have to you know pay attention to these things. But um you know, if it, if it hadn't shown up in the U.S. and Canada, we might not be as hyper vigilant like we are right now. But we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens, see if it plays out. Um, but I think we'll probably see this one fade away in the next month or so, maybe two months. I hope anyway. Sounds good. Well, Dr. Rody, once again, you know, thank you for uh, taking the time to come in into Let's Talk Micro. You know, it was definitely very nice to, you know, we've been talking, you know, either to like social media or email. So it was definitely nice to have a conversation with you. And I definitely look forward to future episodes of having you on. Yeah, thank you so much, Luis. Again, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's an honor and a privilege. I really appreciate what you're doing. And just one quick reminder as we close out for your audience, um, there are a couple of articles I'm working on about this smallpox pandemic. One will come out in the conversation um, and the other will be in an ASM uh, blog. So keep your eyes out for uh, my social media uh, feeds and my other routes of, of dissemination, and you can check those out. There'll be more, more details and a little more fully explained than what we talked about today. So thanks again. And is it uh, you're, you're on Twitter as Rodney Rody? Yeah, yeah. Well, Twitter is Rodney Rody. A lot of people mess up my last name, so it's R-O-D-N-E-Y-R-O-H-D-E, -E, all one word, Rodney Rohde. Um, Again, I'm at Texas State, so I'm also, I have a, a program Twitter handle, TXState underscore CLS, um, and that's my primary kind of rapid dissemination tool, but I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook, uh, and I have a YouTube channel, so 
again, you can find some things if you do some quick Google searches. Yes, for the for the audience, I, I agree because yeah, I all you have to do is just basically type your name and Texas, and it comes right at the top, and then you know it gives you your website, and then from there you can see your publications and all your work, and even on ASM has a, a section where it gives you like a mini biography. So definitely very easy and accessible for the audience that if you want to learn more about Dr. Rody's publications and his work. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk soon. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode of the special edition episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoy learning more about monkeypox. It's always good to stay informed, but also, you know, looking at the right sources. So great conversation with Dr. Rody. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.